Father, this evening, we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you, Father, that you gave us this day, this time, and this place, Lord. And we have come together in your name. And now I pray, Father, that you will help us to put aside everything else. And our mind, our soul, our will, everything will be focused on you and you alone, O Lord. Speak to us. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I have a couple of this thing off? We'll quickly go through a few scriptures, okay? A few scriptures as we recap. And uh, we'll continue to work on truth. Yes, young man, here. Focus. We'll look at First John 14 and verse 6 where... That's the, the text on which we've been looking at a few weeks. Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, keep that in the back of your mind. And then again in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and that many who go by, go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Okay, So we don't change scripture. If we change scripture, we change it at our own peril. He said, the gate is narrow, the way is difficult, and very few find it. So we are not making it broad, we are not making it easy, and we are not making it that many will find it. We leave scripture as it is because scripture explains itself. And then we come to John 17, 17. We know sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. Now we come to Proverbs 30 and verse 5 where scripture says, every word of God is pure and is a shield to those who put their trust in him. When you have a sentence like this, Romber, when he's talking about God being a shield and God putting their trust in him. Go to the sentence before that. It is talking about his word. That how does God become a shield to him and how do I put his uh, my trust in him is when I have put my trust in his word. And his word is pure. Then we come to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17 to 19. We're quickly going through this. Okay, yeah. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one dot, one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Yes. Verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, here. Please remember, when it talks about the law having passed away, it is talking about the Levitical law and it's also talking about the letter of the law. Don't ever think the law has passed away, but actually we keep now the spirit of the law. So please let the word define how we understand the word. And in Matthew 24 verses 34 to 35, 
Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Okay? Now we looked at so many scriptures, but if you ask the two billion plus Christians on earth, you would find that most Christians in that two billion haven't read their word. Haven't read their word. And they don't know their word. Yet every scripture we looked at today is talking about the word. And he says, not even a dot will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Remember on Sunday and the previous days we looked, Jesus telling Pilate that he's not only the truth, he's the witness to truth. And everybody who's on the side of truth hears his voice. And to his apostles, to his disciples, to us, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses. Remember, every day we are witnesses. We are either the witness of the truth or we are witness of a lie. We are a witness of light or we are a witness of darkness. Understand, that's how it goes. His word is the truth. Truth may fall in my life or your life, but doesn't mean that truth can actually fall. It always stands. It always stands. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended by my me, meaning by the word. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, he calls himself the word, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble. Why? Being disobedient to the word. So what is that stone of stumbling? It is his truth. It is his word. Why do they stumble? Because they are disobedient to the word. And you need to realize which they also were appointed. You're not getting into predestination. Okay? But I'm telling you, be very, very careful. Take salvation as the most serious thing in your life. That's why scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In Jude 1 and verse 3, scripture says, Kent, beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to Kent it earnestly for the faith. When it's talking about faith, it's not about talking about religion. It's talking about the truth. Content. Earnestly fight for the truth that was had once and for all to us. Every day we have to contend because everything that we hear, see, perceive, even our feelings, they all lie. They are actually all lying against God, his son and his word. To Timothy and to us, God says through his word, he says in Second Timothy chapter 2, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Says, don't argue about stupid stuff. Basically, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, honestly telling, I'm telling you, if you go through the Bible, God has not called and God does not allow everybody to teach the word of God. Very few are called to teach the word of God. Because there's enormous judgment upon those who teach the word of God because they are called to rightly divide the word of truth. Because error can cause destruction. 
in the lives of people. And he says, correctly dividing the word of truth. And verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings for they will increase to more ungodliness and the message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus, okay, these are two others who taught, yes, and who have strayed concerning the truth. See, wrong teaching takes you further and further away from the truth. So God says, be very, very careful. Okay, then it's talking about resurrection, one one of their error in their teaching. So God is saying, contend for the truth. Be diligent about how you study, how you divide it, how you understand, how you pursue it. You know? Now we are going to look at the word of God as truth. How careful we should be when we study the word of God. Okay, when we study the word of God, because this is the truth. How careful. You will, you will hear young ones, a lot of grammar today. Okay, a lot of grammar today. Grammar lessons, careful. Okay, one letter. One letter, not word, one letter can change the meaning and end you up in hell. One letter. That's why he says not even a dot, not even a matra can change. Because one change can lead to heresy. Let's look at that. Galatians 3.16, we saw this, but let's look at that in the light of today's teaching. Okay, Galatians 3.16. Now to Abraham and his seed. Abraham and his seed. Where the promise is made, he does not say, and to one thing, one letter. One letter can change the entire meaning of what God is trying to say. What God is trying to say. And you need to realize almost every translation available in every language, including various translations of English, wherever this seed is mentioned in other po- it is mentioned as seeds. Mentioned as seeds. This was so important that God has to use his servant to make this correction. Why? Because the Judaizers had come into the church in Galatia, and why was trying to take over their liberty saying, you Galatians who are Gentile converts, unless you get circumcised, you don't actually belong to the faith. Because to belong to the faith, you have to be a child of Abraham. And the mark is circumcision. And Paul through the Holy Spirit answers them through one letter. One letter. He said it is seed and it is not seeds. If it is written in the Bible, seeds then agree, you are right. The ones who are of the circumcision is the children of Abraham. But it is written, seed, it is not talking about them, it is talking about Jesus Christ. One letter. The promise is about Jesus Christ, not about Abraham or his descendants. That's what the Jews and the Muslims say, we are descendants of Abraham, one through Ishmael, one through Isaac. And who are we then? Who are we then? Paul says, yes, sorry, this is not talking about Abraham's seed as Ishmael or Isaac. It is talking about Abraham's seed as Jesus Christ. So if you go to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, now to Abraham and appeared unto Abraham and said, unto thy? Now what, which version is this? KJV. KJV. We may use other versions for help, for but ultimate reference for us always is King James Version. KJV. 
the original one that is the oldest one that is available where tampering hasn't taken place seed unto thy seed genesis 13 for all the land which thou seest thee i will give unto thy seed forever you look at niv and all it is dissonance one letter can change because if it is dissonance then the judaizers are right if it is seed, Paul is right. Genesis 15, verse 5. And he brought him forward abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars if you are able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed. Singular. Genesis 22, verse 18. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And 24, 7. Yeah. And the Lord God of heaven which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred which spoke unto me and that swear unto me saying unto thy seed. But if the Bibles you are handling which you got in your hands if you look at it if it's not a King James version it will all have other translations but one letter can change the meaning. So when you study your Bible be very very careful. That's why Jesus said not even a letter will change because this is his word. This is his truth. This is the truth on which we live. Not even one letter can change. Now how about one word? From letter, let's move to one word, okay? Matthew 22 verses 41 to 46. Jesus, okay? He's happy. The Pharisees always come to pick up arguments with Jesus, okay? While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, What do you think about Christ? What do you think about Christ? He threw this question. Saying, what do you think about Christ? Whose son was, is he? They said, they said to him, the son of David. While the Pharisees were, okay. He said unto them, how then does the David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, go further. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. No, from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. Did you see? He just went into the Psalms, picked one word, that is Lord. And refuted all their arguments. One word. That's who is Christ? The son of David. He said, if Christ is the son of David, then how come the Lord calls him Lord? How can God call the son of David, Lord. And they had no answer. You see, they memorized scriptures, they studied scripture, they didn't understand scripture. That one word would make an entire difference to their entire theology of who Christ was. One word. So be very careful about the word of God. We don't change the word of God because the word of God is truth and if you change the truth, you receive a lie. And if you receive a lie, at the end, it doesn't take you to heaven. It takes you elsewhere. Or at the end, the lie will take your marks off on the judgment day. And they were stunned. They were absolutely stunned. They were not able to answer him a word. There was another instance. Let's look at another instance when one word makes a difference. John chapter 10, 33 to 36. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? 
He says, how dare you say you are equal to God? He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You want to stone me according to your law, the Levitical law, because I said, I am God. I said, is it not written in your law that you are God's? Is it not written? Verse 35? Yes. He called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. His is kings, rulers, judges were all called gods because they had authority, a God-given authority like a God over people. So your law calls rulers gods. How come you want to kill me for saying I am God? That's Psalm 82 verse 6. I said you are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. Did you see how well Jesus knew scripture? He knew the truth. How well he knew his word. Not that he memorized it, we memorize scripture. But when somebody asks a question, we don't have an answer because we did not understand what we memorized. We don't understand scripture. We are not memorizing scripture for the sake of memorizing. We are memorizing scripture because we understand it. It's better to understand scripture than memorize it. And he, he answered. Let's look at to the believing Jews or Hebrews. Okay, again another instance where Paul contented with one word, just one word. Okay, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7 and 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And verse 13. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now where is he picking this up from? He's actually picking this up from. Okay, you look at it, one word. Jeremiah 33. Okay, this is connected with another one word. Okay, it's okay. Where in Jeremiah he says, I will make a new covenant. Okay. The minute you have a term new, that means the old is gone. The old has become obsolete. So he changes, he contends with them about the truth of God's word using one word from scripture. Jesus using one word, Paul saying one letter called seed and seeds. And Jesus using one word, Paul using one word. So what I am trying to get to you, do you understand the importance of one word in scripture? How it can change your theology, your understanding of who God is. Let's look at a third example in Haggai. Yeah. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, if it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of his hosts. And yes, continue. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. This is mentioned in Haggai. Those who read and wrote Haggai also did not understand what they were writing. We are looking at the importance of a close reading of scripture because Jesus said heaven and earth can pass away, but not 
my word. So what does Paul do or the writer of the book of Hebrews when he argues in Hebrews 12? See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet, once more. Once more. See, what I'm trying to get you is that when scripture says they learned the apostles' doctrine, when the church began and the, the apostles were teaching, they, had, they did not have any teaching except the Old Testament. But because their eyes were open, they understood what the Old Testament actually meant. The spirit of the law they actually meant. What was hidden to the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets is being opened to the new covenant saints. This is what it means once more. And suddenly once more understood this is what he's talking about. That earlier when the law was given... On Mount Sinai, God shook everything up and he says the new covenant once more before the new covenant people after the third millennium. Once more God will shake everything. And the new covenant people will enter into perfection. Now let us look at grammar. Active and passive voice. Good for your paper one, okay? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 9. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Now he's saying something over here. Being known by God is more important than us claiming we know him. Our relationship with God is based more on his knowledge and acceptance of us rather than our knowledge and acceptance of him. That's a difference. Look, there are babies at the back. Where is Joanna, Zoe, Aru, all at the back. They don't know much about their parents. But they know one thing. Their parents know them. Therefore, they have no fear. We do not know that our father knows us. That's why we are living in fear. All our knowledge, all our study, all our writing, all our memory is not changing us because we actually do not know that God knows us. See, it is not my knowledge of God that changes me. It is my knowledge that God knows me that changes me. Imagine taking those three little children and sitting there and telling them all about what their father is like and what their mother is like, what their father does at office. It's irrelevant to them. Their security doesn't come from that. Their security comes from that fact, you know, my father knows me. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 19, this is what Paul will say. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows who are, who are his. Did you see how the tense changed? 
in Galatians 4.9. And if you're looking at grammar, you need to realize, hey, it's more important that God knows me than I think that I know God. All men, scriptural knowledge, biblical knowledge is not going to make much of a difference if I don't have the... That's what scripture says, the spirit himself calls us from within and cries out, Abba, Father. That is the knowledge that God knows me. In Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, this is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never, I never knew you. I didn't, I don't know you. All these people are claiming we know you. He's telling them, I don't know you. Okay. So when you read the Bible, a letter, a word, even the grammatical usage, be careful what the Bible is talking about. What about the tense of the verb? Okay. Don't get tense. Are you talking about grammar? Tense. Okay. You see, the Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. So they were always trying to trap the Pharisees and Sadducees who tried to trap and Jesus used to put them together and let them trap each other. Paul also used to do that. Let's have Acts, yeah. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. But against the common enemy, they have together. You need to, that's, that's how the... You have in the Middle East also, the Shia and the Sunni will fight, fight, fight for, until they see a Jew. The minute they sue a Jew, they will come together, fight him, and then again they will start fighting with each other. That's how the Pharisee and the Sadducee was. They don't agree on anything. They are fighting with each other all the time. But the minute they come to Jesus, they both agree. Sadducees believe there is no resurrection, no angel, no spirit. The Pharisees confess both. So look at Jesus. Okay, Something is going to happen over here. In Matthew 22, verse 23. On the same day, Sadducees who would say there is no resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay? Now they're going to set him up. Set him up. They say, okay, the brother died. Second one married. Second one died. Third one married. Third one died. Fourth one married. Fourth one died. Fifth one married. Fifth one died, sixth one married. So they say, six, seven. In heaven, whose wife will she be? It's a very interesting question, right? All seven die. Whose question? Jesus gives two incredible answers. In verse 29 to 31st. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not Knowing the scriptures. You don't know scripture. You think you know scripture, but you don't know scripture. Or not the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. So don't make marriage into an ideal on earth, because in resurrection there is no marriage. It's a temporary thing. The world will pass away, marriages also will pass away. In resurrection there is no marriage. But they are like angels of God in heaven. 
and verse four, yeah, and then verse thirty-one to thirty-three. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, "I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob." God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Now go to the previous verse, thirty-one onwards. No. He said, do you know what God said? What did he say? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. What did he say? I was the God of Abraham. Now, what tense is he using? Present continuous. I am. So is Abraham resurrected or not? Is there a spirit or not? See, grammar can open our eyes because scripture is truth. And it's the truth that sets us free. So read the Bible scripture, okay? I know most of you don't understand. Children don't understand. They're staring at me. Don't worry. Only thing, even in your classroom, when you read your text, read carefully. Read carefully every little word, especially when you read the Bible. Read the Bible carefully. A letter, a word, a set of words, the grammar, the tense can mean our eternity. Let's look at another one. John chapter 8, verse 56 to 57. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? And his answer, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now he could have said, before Abraham, I was. That is grammatically correct. That's not what he says. He says, I am. Before Abraham, I am. What is he saying? And if you have never read the book of Exodus, you will not understand what he is trying to say. In Exodus 3 and verse 14, when Moses asked the voice from the fire, God, who are you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Why is this important? Because God has no past, present or future. He is not caught in time. We have a past. We have a present. We have a future because we are caught in time. After death, you don't have a past. You don't have a present. You don't have a future. You're outside of time. God is not caught in time. So he is, I am. And Jesus goes there and he says before Abraham, I am. He does not say, I was. And he uses that very term that is only identified with God. And that's why they picked up stones to stone him. You know, one little change in tense. If he has said before Abraham, I was, uh, they would have said, uh, okay, I was. Maybe he is some prophet who came alive. That's what they asked about John. Are you Elijah? If he had said I was Elijah, they had no problem. If he had said I was, they would have think, oh, okay, maybe this is Jeremiah or Elijah or somebody. But when he said I am, they knew exactly what he was saying. Exactly what they were saying. Okay, understand, learn, read, study scripture carefully. 
Why? Because we know very familiar words for us in this church now. Psalm 138 and verse 2. He has magnified his word above all his name. God has magnified his word. And if you and I don't magnify his word above everything else, magnify his word above everything else, we still are not on the road. We are not progressing. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And the issue is that as you encounter truth and keep on encountering truth, every inch of the way, it's a battle. It's not easy. Because every day you have to encounter what is true and what is not true. And every day you encounter the lie in your life, the darkness in your life, and you have to repent and replace it with his word. And if that is not our focus, it's not that you are not saved. Honestly, we will end up as nobody in heaven. Absolutely. That's what Galatians 4 will talk about. A child, though everything is a child, is just like a slave. Just like a slave. Because he has magnified his word above all his name. Let us look at how he handled it. We know this very well. When Jesus himself was tempted. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. That's when the devil came and said, if you are the son of God. What did Jesus say in each case? He said, it is written. And again verse 6 and 7. If you are, he said, it is Written. And verse 410. Away with you for it is written. Now let me ask you this question. Why didn't Jesus answer like the way we answer? The Holy Spirit told me. That's what we said. The Spirit told me. Why, why He could have said it. it could be true. Absolutely true if he said my father told me who I am. The Spirit told me who I am. He never says that. Because that is subjective. Open to interpretation. He said, it is written, it is objective for everybody. He was one person on earth who could have said, the spirit told me. Because he never listened to any other voice, but he never said that. He said, it is written. It is written. That's why when you people tell me, the spirit told me, I said, where is it written? Not Disputing the fact the spirit did not tell you. But show me where did you get it from. Show me from the word. Because God's word is the objective truth set before us. Why do people walk in a lie? Why do people not walk in their deliverance? Why do people not get their liberty? It's because they have not magnified this in their life. Because the word is the objective truth God has given us. If we... I'm not saying you will, it will happen in one day or one year or ten years, but it's a constant progress in the word of God because the word of God is the objective, verifiable truth available to us. There is an incredible, unbelievably powerful statement Peter makes in Second Peter. I want it in KJV because KJV, okay, is it in KJV? Yeah. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Who is saying this? Peter is telling. No, we did not cunningly devise fables. When, a, what, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, hey look, we did not make stories. We were witnesses. We saw him. 
We saw his life. We saw his miracles. We saw his death. We saw him after resurrection. Okay? For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I was well pleased. They said, not only that, let us tell you. Peter says, I was one of the three who heard the voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. I heard the voice of the Father talking about him that this is the son. And then what does he go to verse further? 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. We were with him. We heard the voice. We were on that mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now tell me, which is the greater witness? If you were there and you were Peter, wouldn't you say, hey, you, I, you don't have to argue with me. I was with him for three and a half years. I know him. Not only that, I was one of the three witnesses on earth who heard God speak about Jesus. He says, no, all that is there, but they are all still subject to you. I will tell you a more sure thing. We have the word of prophecy. The written word which talks about him. That is on which I put my faith. Did you see? Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Rest are all good, but they are all still subjective. But this is not subjective. This is a word. You can search on your own and find out what God is saying. It's an unbelievable statement Peter is making. That's why we need to always remember what John says in the beginning of his gospel in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word was God. That is Jesus and the written word. And remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verses 5 to 7. He says, therefore when he, that Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifice for sin you had no pleasure, but, what does he say? Behold, I have come. And he stops. Stops. Look at this there. You have come. But how will you know that I came? Because many body came. I can claim I am Christ. You can claim you are Christ. How many people have claimed there is Jesus Christ? How do you know who is Christ? Because in the volume of the book, it is written about me. There is only one Christ who fulfilled this word. That is me. That is me. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Do you see that outside of this, I can't really understand God? Everything could be subjective. And a lot of heresies happen because of subjective experiences which are not corroborated by the word of God. People don't know the word of God. They don't study the word of God. They don't base their faith on the word of God and they will keep on telling the spirit told me. That's how Jehovah's Witnesses came. That's how the Quran was written. All written by angel told me, this angel told me, that told me. It's not on the word, based on the word of God. So that's what scripture is saying. Even Jesus says, you will know who I am when I speak to you. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you. That's what scripture, Holy Spirit himself says. He will not say anything about himself. Why? Because then it becomes subjective. 
He will only speak about things which he has heard. He will only speak about Jesus Christ, the word. So we have something that is here. That is what we call the objective truth. Remember the angel with John at the end, Revelation 19. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Did you see this? This entire book from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is a prophetic book. But what does this book talk about? How do you know a prophecy is true when it is spoken over you? Because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. See, I am praying and asking something for the will of God. Lord, I am surrendering. This is your will for me. I just want to do your will. And this is the way I believe you are leading me. Somebody comes and prophesies over me, which is totally contrary to the will of God for me, the will of Jesus for me. But it's extremely nice to hear. Does not match with the testimony of God. Does not match. Because the whole word is prophetic. That's what happened to the disciples. Remember on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, after Jesus rose from the dead and he's walking with this, uh, resurrected Jesus with these uh, two disciples, their eyes are restrained, they don't recognize him. He said to them, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And verse 27 says, and beginning at Moses, which is the first book Moses wrote. Genesis. Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See, when you read the Bible, what did you understand? Did you encounter me? Didn't you understand the whole Bible is about me? That's what he had said earlier in the volume of the book. This is written about me. So in Acts chapter 2, when the church first began in Jerusalem, when scripture says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, what is the apostles' doctrine? Not a single New Testament gospel letter is there. Only the 39 books of the Old Testament. What are they teaching? They are teaching the revelation of the new covenant hidden in the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. The truth. And that's the truth that can set us free. Jesus said, I am the truth. And the truth is hidden in the Old Testament. The letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. And when you read the Old Testament or the New Testament, if you are not searching for who Jesus is, because we were saved by the truth, and that Jesus is in us, that Jesus has to grow. That's why we saw on Sunday, Proverbs 23 and 23, it says, buy truth and do not sell it. Why buy? Buy truth, buy wisdom, buy instruction, and buy understanding. You have to buy. Buy instruction, buy understanding. I'll give you a few examples. Can I have Proverbs 18 and verse 1? Careful, okay? Now look at this, okay? This is the issue. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. 
It's an absolutely wrong translation. Now go to KJV. Because one word, one word, it's understanding, it has multiple meanings. So they took one meaning and every translation in English, almost everyone with a check, it goes this way. But what does KJV say? Though Through desire a man, comma, you didn't see the comma there. Through desire a man, see a comma makes a whole lot of difference now, the meaning changes because of a comma. Through desire a man, having separated himself. Seeketh and intermeddled with all wisdom. Intermeddled is an old English word. Meaning he's contending with wisdom. He knows he needs wisdom. He knows wisdom has to be bought. So what does he do? First, he has this intense desire. The desire causes him to separate himself from the rest. And now he's contending with wisdom because wisdom demands a price. Now you go to the other version and see how the whole thing has changed, the meaning has changed. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all wise judgment. All are opposites the meaning. Do you see? Why we always say, do we use all these translations? Refer to KJV. Because one word can change the entire chapter of Proverbs. And the entire difference is in meaning. One comma changed the meaning. And one word changed the meaning. And now look good to verse 2. Then you will understand. A fool has no delight in understanding. Did you see the difference? That man has his desire. He separates himself. And is meddling with wisdom. But the fool has no delight in understanding. Now honestly understand, your age is irrelevant. Irrelevant. In God's eyes, if you are not interested in the word of God, he says you are a fool. Because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Foolishness in the kingdom of God is not judged by your knowledge. Foolishness in the kingdom of God is your attitudes in knowing God. A fool has said in his heart, there is no and fool has no delight in understanding. Understanding whom? God and his word. That is how we know where we are. That's what Jesus said. The word is hidden. You see, when Jesus preached the word, he made it so difficult, it was impossible to understand it. He never made it easy. And when he was asked, why did you make it? He says, only the elect will understand. That's how you know whether you are the elect or not. Because only the elect has a delight to understand. The others are not. Right? Now, let me say a simple thing. How do I know how many Malayalis are there? I will ask. Kai Boka. See? Everybody put their hand up. Did you see? What did I say in Malayalam? Lift your hand. So I know everyone who is a Malayali here and the rest don't understand Malayalam. Right? Though you all look the same. How do you know you are the elect? How do I know I am part of the elect? I know I am part of the elect only if I have a desire in me to know God and to have understanding. That's how I know. That's why when the crowds followed him after some time, he said, leave them alone. Let's go. Let's go teaching. But there are people who are interested in knowing me. 
Others live it. They will always come for miracles. But that doesn't mean they're going to heaven. Understand, the Bible itself gives us the clue how to know who we are. That's why scripture says, you have to buy it. It is not easy. You have to buy it. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart, meaning he's full of his own opinions. And when understanding collides with his opinions, he always follows his heart. Delight is the joy or pleasure in something. A fool, God is saying, has no pleasure in understanding. Through which only we can obtain truth, wisdom and instruction. What is the writer of Proverbs says? By truth, by wisdom, by instruction, by understanding. Right? By all these things. Now what about instruction? I'm just giving you snippets. What about instruction? Proverbs 4.13 Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Instruction is different from truth, wisdom and understanding. Why does scripture says hold on with all your life all to instruction? Why does it say? You have to read scripture carefully. Hold firm. Take a firm hold of instruction. Now, let me ask you. What I am speaking could be truth. What I could be speaking could be wisdom. And you need understanding. But what are you supposed to take firm hold of? But how do I take hold of instruction? Think about it. How do you take hold of instruction? If you... PhD is in English. How do you take hold of instructions? You have to look at it. We memorize this. and We have finished our daily devotions. We never question this. What does this mean? What does this mean? Let me ask, tell you something. Everything that you know, you learned from somebody. Somebody instructed you. You cannot learn anything without being taught. Which means, without humbling yourself before an instructor. If you know how to cook, it is because you shut your mouth and listen to your mother saying, do this, do this, do this. If you learn something, you always learn from somebody else because you chose to humble yourself and learn from that person. Now you understand what James 4 and verse 6 means? God gives grace to the You can, that's why scripture is saying, take a firm hold of instruction, meaning humble yourself. It doesn't matter who you are. Let's say, I'm the pastor. I'm the pastor. And I'm Sajid's Malik. I'm his boss. I pay his salary. But if I want to learn driving, I have to humble myself, sit beside him and listen to him. Because I'll never learn. I'll never learn. That's what scripture is talking about. You know why people don't learn? At some point, pride comes in. 
and they don't learn anymore. They don't learn anymore. They cannot be taught anymore. They cannot be taught anymore. See, this is an unending journey towards truth. Even in eternity, we'll be still. Can God fully be known? No. God is life. He himself is life. We'll be forever learning God. And if you look at it, the tree of life is in the city. It is not on earth. It is not in heaven. It is in the city. Right? It bears fruit 12 times a year. And you can go eat it. What is it talking about? Real tree and real fruit? No, it's talking about knowing God. That's why the question is, can you be taught? Can you be taught? That's why it says, take a firm hold of instruction. Don't let go of her. And I'm telling you the fact, you will rarely find people who can be taught all their life. All their life. In Psalm 50, verse 16 and 17, Scripture says, But to the wicked God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction? You hate instruction. And you cast my words behind you. You hate instruction. You cannot be taught. And one of the things which you meet in ministry, especially ministry with people who are in ministry, is that most of the people I meet in ministry, they stopped learning long time back. Have to tell them, sit down and study. Sit down and study. It doesn't matter how much you know. You never know enough. It's never enough. Because God cannot be known. Don't run around doing things. Delegate it to others. Sit and study. Sit and study. Sit and study. It's very difficult. What we do not understand is about understanding. Instruction. Can we be instructed? Can be instructed? Let me ask all these children sitting away. Can you be instructed? You had the privilege of being in GSS and in GTC. Therefore, your English is better than most of your teachers. Therefore, many of you don't receive instruction from those teachers. Your English may be better, but that teacher has better subject knowledge. This is the problem. I've seen that often with classes. And some of the days when I used to teach 25, 30 years ago, the best students in English, I would ask them, get out and stand outside so that I can teach the others. Because you are a disturbance in the class. No, this is what happens to people. And this happens within the church. A little biblical knowledge, they cannot be instructed anymore. But we are all learning. We all need to be instructed all our life because there is no end. We cannot cast his words behind us. Matthew then comes in, it comes to understanding in Matthew 13 and verse 23. He who received the seed on the ground, good ground is he who hears the word and understands. You have to buy understanding. You have to buy. You have to buy. And God is watching. God is watching. I love those ones who text me, call me and saying, last Sunday you said this or this thing. I didn't understand. I understand. Because in your own schools, in your own classrooms, in your processes, when you don't understand anything, you are sitting in the late hour and trying to figure it out because in that understanding there is profit. But you don't think not understanding this, there is no profit. You're not willing to buy it. You're willing to buy that. You're not willing to buy this. 
Why? Because you see profit in this, which is good, you need to buy that. What we say in English, burn the midnight oil. You need to. But what about this? Which is eternal. That's why Proverbs 18 and verse 2 says, the fool has no delight in He's more interested in his own thoughts and in his own opinions. Okay. We have to be very, very, very careful. Even down to last week, somebody came, was asking me a doubt. But while asking me the doubt about scripture, it's not even giving me a chance to give the answer. I realized, this is in a group. Then I realize he's not actually interested in his doubt. He's more interested in vocalizing his opinion about that subject for the others to hear than a real seeker of truth. That happens in classrooms too. Smart Alex will ask this doubt to show off their understanding. They're not really looking for understanding. That's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees did and Jesus with one word shut them up so they were so scared to ask them questions. Sadducees came prepared, Lord, one nice example, one brother died. You know it is written in the law, brother died, another married, he died, third married, seven died. Now after resurrection, they don't believe in resurrection, okay? So they're going to strap him. Whose wife will be? He said, you don't understand scripture. That's like flat in the face. You are theologians of the scripture but you don't understand scripture. Like if I tell Vijay, Pastor Vijay, you have got a PhD in robotics, you don't understand robotics. He'll say, what? <laughs> right? We don't listen. We don't listen. We don't understand. And God says, a fool has no delight in understanding. Do you remember the restoration of Job in chapter 42 after 40 Chapters of discourse. Then Job answered to the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. That no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And? Yes. You ask who is this who hides counsel without knowledge. Therefore I have uttered what I did not. Maafi karna. Galti se? Mistake okay. Please. I said so many things but Lord I am so sorry I didn't understand you. So sorry. Things too wonderful for me. Please, please, Lord, forgive me. I didn't understand. I didn't understand. Are we getting the picture? No. Are we getting it? What Bible says? Buy, buy, buy. It's not. It is. It's not free. Salvation is free. After that, nothing is free. Nothing is free. Buy, buy. Because God has magnified his word above everything else. And the question is, if this word is truth, and if it is his truth that sets me free, then the words of this book must be the most treasured possession in my life. And if that is not being revealed on a day-to-day basis, God sees it. God sees it. I'm not talking about the amount of time you spend on it. That only people like me and Pastor Vijay can spend because we have the time for it. But I'm talking about the quality of time you spend with it. In Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7, this is what scripture says. The words of the Lord are 
pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times you shall keep them oh lord you shall preserve them from this generation forever listen to it very carefully the words of the lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times you shall keep them oh lord you shall preserve them not for you understand grammar my mother pickled something and preserved it for me my mother pickled something and preserved it from me that means she hid it somewhere where i couldn't find you know what he's talking about his generation he's saying this generation preserve your truth from them because they don't value it they don't value it I'm talking about eternal things, not about temporary things. Talking about eternal things. That's why I said your age is irrelevant. God did not preserve his truth from Samuel. He preserved his truth from, for Samuel. That even when the light flickered out in Shiloh, he still spoke to that five-year-old boy. You need to ask yourself, why doesn't God speak to me? Because every child sitting in this room knows more of the word than Samuel knew at five. More. Because God said, this is my word. Anybody who shows a little interest to know me through my word, I will show myself to him. Oh, her. God is not a respecter of persons. In Psalm 119 and verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. And in Job 23 and verse 12, I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. See, See, all these subjective things are good. Running after prophecies, healing, if you need it, go after that. But not at the cost of this. Ultimately, God is looking into every one of our lives and is saying, you have one thing of me in your life which you can hold in your hands. It is this. And I'm seeing how you deal with this. How you deal with this. That's how I will judge you. Your response to me. It's not about reading your Bible. It's accessing truth and allowing truth to work in us. That is what it means receiving the love of the truth. Because his word is truth. That's how he's judging everybody starting with me down. Everybody who looks and says, you have something that is objective in you, with you, in your home, in your hands. That's why Pastor Vijay, we were talking today morning and yesterday morning. You are anywhere in the underground church, suffering, persecuted, beaten, killed church in China, North Korea, Afghanistan. And if you ask them what you want, they will say, give us a Bible. Almost every underground church, you ask them, what is your first need? They will say Bible. Please, one Bible for a personal copy. Second, medicine for those who are wounded. If God were to ask us, what do you need? What is our answer? Do you see the difference? See the difference? Yet they need more money than us. They need more help than us. They don't even have money to buy medicines. But everyone first says it's the word. 
So it all begins with this. The truth. The absolute truth. And the kingdom of God is built on it. And God says, buy it. Buy truth. Buy wisdom. Buy instruction. Buy understanding. Don't sell it. The question is, how much are we willing to pay? How much are we willing to pay? In Matthew 18, 13 and verse 44 to 46, as I close. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Why does Jesus talk all these things? Which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I have done that in bookshops. I go there and find long days back. I find, hey, how much is this? He said, this much. And I look at it, I don't have the money. And you know what? I hide it. And I said, okay, don't give it to anybody. I'm coming back in two hours. It's about a book. And God is talking about truth, about his kingdom. He's comparing the kingdom of heaven to a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, but the field is not his. So what did he do? He goes and sells all that he has. And what does he buy? The whole field. He can't tell the other guy there is treasure in your field because then he won't sell it. So what does he go? He sells everything that he has and buys that field. Now God is comparing this to us. Do you know, do you see the kingdom of God has treasure? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And what happened? Oh, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Why I am saying all these things is that people have been exposed to so much subjective preaching. They are not looking at the truth of God's word and understanding why he says the gate is narrow, the road is narrow, there you will find it. We don't take it seriously. But when we go through the entire Bible, we will realize, you know what? God actually means what he says. God actually means what he says. If the kingdom of God is not the first thing in your and my life, why should God reveal himself to us? Why should he? When you are willing to pay any price for to achieve anything in this world, why are we not willing to buy truth? Why are we not willing to buy wisdom? Why don't we hold firm handle on instruction? Why don't we buy understanding? We are worried about need. We are worried about MSET. We are worried about everything. God said, that's fine. I said, I would take care of you all. He said, I would take care of you. He said, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he said, all this would have been taken care of. Honestly, this, this night, tenth month, the third night, ask yourself first this question. Am I really saved? Am I really saved? The scripture says, on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were baptized, they gathered steadfastly for the apostles' doctrine, because they knew they could not survive without truth. They knew, this is what we need. That's what Job was saying. And I really believe, I really believe most Christians are not saved. 
You go to a mess and you see 100 people eating and you look two of them who hasn't eaten for two days, you will know who is hungry and who is not hungry. Right? And you see people sitting and eating, you can see some people... If you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, won't it show? When it is only found in this, won't it show? Why is that you even struggle after six years even to listen for ten minutes without your thoughts wandering? Think. Honestly, think. Why is it? I'm not blaming you. I'm telling you, you have to ask these questions. Why is it I'm struggling with my concentration? Why is my mind wandering? But these are eternal questions. These are not temporary questions. These are eternal questions. That's how Jesus asks questions so that we will know about ourselves. He's not asking Adam, where are you? Because he doesn't know where Adam is. He knows exactly where it is. But he knows Adam doesn't know where he is. So he's asking Adam, where are you? Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Why does God ask questions? So that we would know. Where we are. So when you read stuff like this, it's challenging for me too, because when I read this, again, after so many, so much time, I was reading this portion once again. When I read, and the first thing, and I said, Lord, have I sold everything? Have I really in my life sold everything and is single track mind after your kingdom? I said, Lord, I don't think so yet. It's challenging. Challenging. It's, 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 Lord, this is what you expect? Is this what you expect? And if this is what you expect, Lord, make us that people who will buy truth, who will buy wisdom, who will buy instruction, who will buy understanding, willing to pay the price for it. Anything, anywhere anybody reaches, you will see there was a price they were willing to pay. They were willing to pay. And God says, everybody who reaches as overcomers in the kingdom of God are those who paid the ultimate price. The question is not what is truth, but can you handle truth? Can we handle truth? Shall we pray? Father, this evening, once again, we come to you, Lord. All these questions you lay before us so that there will be a churning within us, O Lord, that we understand the importance of one letter, one word, the tense, the grammar, how this can change our entire perception about salvation, your kingdom, your truth of who you are. I pray, Father, you continuously bring us back to the Word. Bring us back to the Son. Bring us back to the truth. For only the truth can set us free. We are worried about so many things that concern life. Yet one thing, like Mary, you said, is all that is needed. Our hunger and thirst for you. Our hunger and thirst for your kingdom and our hunger and thirst for your truth.
Cause us to hunger after thee, O Lord. Help us to examine ourselves that we may know where we are in this 10th month. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this month. Thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us here today. And now as we leave, we thank you for bringing us here safely. And I pray, Father, you reach us all home safely, Lord. And continue to help us to meditate upon your word day and night. For your word is life. Thank you, Father. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.